We are uh, been working through in the last three weeks, um, or three of the last four weeks, we've been working through various forms of love of God and looking at it in a Trinitarian sense, uh, the three persons of God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. And so uh, a few weeks ago we talked about the love of the Father and how the love of the Father is perfect in all of his attributes. He's perfect in holiness, in purity, in love, and justice. And remember the unique love of the Father in the Trinity of God. The unique love of the Father was that he initiated love while we were still enemies. God showed his love to us. And Paul explains that in Romans 5.10, but Jesus said it as well. Jesus said, this is, this is how the Father loved you. He, he started this whole thing. In John 8.42, Jesus said to the Pharisees, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. As you just remember that sermon that we had, that message from Scripture, was that the love of the Father was that he initiated love. In the garden, when man fell, when Adam and Eve fell, when man fell away and rebelled against God, his initial reaction immediately was to put in in place a plan of redemption. His response to Adam and Eve was, you're going to have an offspring, and that offspring is going to crush the head of the serpent. And there will be redemption. And so we looked at the unique love of the Father being that God, being a good God, must hate only one thing, and he hates sin. And God, being a just God, must have a just response to sin. We couldn't call anyone good if they had no response to evil. And so being perfect in love and perfect in justice, God the Father came up with this plan in love, that he would deal with sin justly and he would deal with it in love on the cross of Christ. And so the love of the Father was that he initiated this. While we were wicked, while we were rebellious, while we were still enemies, God initiated through his love the plan of the cross for our benefit so that sin could be dealt with justly and we could be saved by his love. And then we looked at the love of the Spirit, how the Spirit loves us specifically, and the Spirit loves us by interceding for and comforting us. And you remember the different pictures I painted of that last week. The Holy Spirit, in my mind, in this terms of a comforter and an intercessor, is, is sort of like a nurse or a doctor when we need to be healed, and they intercede and care for us and comfort us, or they're like a lawyer. The Holy Spirit is like a lawyer who intercedes and deals with situations that we are not prepared to deal with before the Father. Uh, Again, in this area of justice for our sin, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, uh, even to the Father. And then also, the Holy Spirit also kind of is like a bodyguard. It's kind of like a big brother who, in the terms of the world and in terms of our enemy, uh, Satan, the Holy Spirit gives us the armor of God. And in prayer, we have defense against the evil in the world. And so the Holy Spirit is this comforter and intercessor. And so the love of the Spirit is this intercessory love that stands between us and our enemies. And it's also the Holy Spirit, the intimate love of knowing us and knowing the Father and residing in us. When we talk about the love of the Holy Spirit, we're often talking about that intimate relationship that we have with the Spirit of Jesus who is in us, residing in us to reveal the will and the nature of the Father. And you just remember, again, just to recall that great verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 9-10, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For it is the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
Just amazing that God loves us through His Spirit by giving us His Holy Spirit, that we can know the depths of God. I mean, that is an incredibly loving relationship that God has with us. And so that just brings us to today. Now, on Christmas Eve, we look at the third person in the Godhead, the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're asking ourselves, and we're doing the same thing as we've done these last couple of weeks, is we're looking in Scripture, and we're just trying to see how is it that Jesus uniquely loves us. We know God the Father loves us by being the initiator of love, that he took the initiative to pursue us, to put the plan in place to redeem us. We know the Holy Spirit loves us by indwelling us and revealing the nature and will of the Father and by interceding and comforting us. But how is it that Jesus loves us? How does Jesus express the love of God to us? And as we look into the Gospels and we look into the life of Jesus, as we often do at this time of year, right? We go back and we, we read Luke and we read Matthew and we just sort of reimmerse ourselves in the ministry and the life of Jesus. There's no question that there's a repeated theme that emerges about the love that Jesus brings to the world. And the love that Jesus brings in those themes, and I'm going to look at them quickly, the first couple of themes is healing, cleansing, and redemption. These are the loves of Jesus. He came to heal. He came to cleanse. He came to redeem. He came to resurrect. But the beauty of the Gospels and the love of Jesus and how his coming, his ministry, and his message unpacks for us or or how we unwrap it for us layer by layer the significance of his love. So we know that as we read the Gospels that, that Jesus is all about healing and he's all about cleansing and he's all about resurrection and redeeming. But we look into those scriptures and from those things in Jesus' life and ministry, we unpack by the Holy Spirit and we unwrap for us things that we see at a deeper level. What Jesus is really doing in his love is happening spiritually. But let's just take a few minutes, and this won't be terribly long, but I just want to look at what Jesus did in his life and in his ministry to show love to the people and then how he was unpacking or unwrapping and unfolding that for us to see what he was doing for the whole world spiritually. So John the Baptist actually comes before Jesus. If you're reading your Gospels, you run into John the Baptist, and he's the prophet that went before proclaiming that Jesus would come. The Lamb of the world was going to come. And John the Baptist himself, even after baptizing Jesus and proclaiming that he's the Lamb of God, John the Baptist is asking if Jesus really is the Messiah the promised one of God that Israel's been looking for all these hundreds, even thousands of years, because they had the word of God, they had the promise to Abraham, they had the promise to David, they had the the word of the prophet that the Messiah was coming, and the people of Israel were looking for thousands of years for this Messiah to come. Just imagine that, thousands of years they were looking. And the Messiah had not come yet. And then John the Baptist, he knows what he's called to proclaim. And he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And then, you know, a few months later, he's actually even maybe starting to second-guess himself. He sees what Jesus is doing. He sees the miracles. He knows what he proclaimed. He saw what happened at the baptism, you know, with the Spirit coming down and God speaking from heaven. But John even questions, is like, I I just want to double-check here. Are you the one we've been waiting for? Are you actually the Messiah? Because this is blowing my mind a little bit that it's finally happening. And so John the Baptist sends some people to Jesus in Luke 7, uh, verses 20. And they ask Jesus, are you the one who has come or are we, should we be looking for another? And in that hour, he healed many people 
of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who are blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And so there you have Jesus' own answer. He says, John, do you want to know whether the Messiah has come? This is what's going on. I am healing people. I am restoring sight and strength and cleansing them. I am resurrecting people from the dead, and I am proclaiming good news. I am proclaiming the gospel. The word there is evangelion. I'm evangelizing. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm presenting the gospel to people of the good news of God's love to them. And so we just look at those very quickly. We see that in Jesus' ministry, when he declares who he is and what he's doing for the world, he says, I'm healing. And there's many instances of that. We can just quickly look at a couple here in Mark 1, 40-42. A leper comes to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And it says, Moved with pity or with great compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Or in Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And so Jesus comes healing. This is his compassion. This is his mercy. This is his love towards the people that Jesus desires to heal, and he desires to cleanse. And so in your own life, There is a God, there is a Messiah, there is a promised one, Jesus, who, as Steve prayed and has told us, has a personal, wants to have a personal relationship with us, and he loves us through the person of Jesus in healing. He wants to heal broken relationships. He wants to heal us physically. He wants to heal us spiritually as well. And so the love of Jesus comes by healing. And then even greater than healing in Jesus' ministry, you have resurrection. Jesus didn't just come and cleanse people. He didn't just come and give them sight. He didn't just come and give them strength and and repair their body or heal their illness. He brought the dead back to life. Luke 7, 12-15 says, As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. This is the love of Jesus coming through. And he said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and touched the buyer. And bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. And so Jesus resurrects from the very dead. Not just healing, not just strengthening, not just bringing sight, but resurrecting from the dead. And of course, Lazarus, of course, we see the compassion of Jesus in the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And so all of that is just to say that in the ministry of Jesus, when we're looking at how does the love of God come through the person of Jesus specifically, If you're reading the Gospels and just opening up the Gospels and looking at his ministry, it's healing, it's cleansing, it's restoring sight, and it's resurrecting. And all these acts of healing and these acts of resurrection and restoring sight, they're motivated by Jesus' compassion, by his love. But the truth is, 
And this is what we want to get to today. The truth is, is these healings, these restorations of sight, these resurrections, they are just a foreshadowing. They are just a sign that points us towards the deepest work of Jesus' love that he's actually doing spiritually. Jesus did not, in his essence, at the bottom things, at the ground floor, come to heal people of leprosy. He did not come to give sight to the blind specifically. He did not come to raise these few people from the dead. These things that Jesus did in his ministry were just a foreshadowing. They were just a sign pointing us towards the work of love that Jesus was going to do spiritually and eternally and globally. And all through his ministry, Jesus is repeatedly pointing the people towards that deeper love that he has. And quite often they missed it. They didn't see that what he was doing was actually trying to point them towards something that was going on that was far more amazing than the healings and the resurrections that he was doing. The love of Jesus is in revealing that good news. It's in, at the end of what he said to John was, I do all this healing and the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. That's the emphasis. Jesus expresses his love by revealing to us what is going on spiritually. Yes, he cares for our bodies. He made them. Jesus loves to heal and to restore and to redeem. But the love of Jesus is that he came to reveal the gospel and to show that there is a spiritual reality that is taking place, that he has come to give us the good news, that what he offers is more than physical and temporal, constrained by a lifetime. It's spiritual and eternal. Jesus has come to grant us spiritual sight to our blindness. He has come to heal our spiritual wounds and to cleanse us spiritually from the disease of our sin. And we have an amazing summary of this in a teaching in Matthew 9. And this is kind of an odd Christmas teaching, but I just want to show you how Jesus was trying to point this out to people as he was doing his ministry. Matthew 9 is the story of the paralytic who's let down through the roof, right? You all remember your Sunday school stories. This was a great one, right? They pull the tiles off the roof, they lower the guy down. It's always very exciting in Sunday school. Right? But Matthew 9, here's what's going on. Behold, people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And we know that he did. And there's a double play of events that's going on here in Jesus' teaching and what he's doing in his ministry, and it can get missed. Jesus isn't actually saying that healing is harder so that if I can heal, I can also forgive. What he's really saying to the scribes is you believe healing and forgiveness are the same thing and look, I can do both. I can heal and forgive. And you see, the the people that he's speaking with, the scribes and the Pharisees believed and taught that the people were made lame or that people were sick or blind or had leprosy as divine punishment because of the sins of themselves or their parents. They were really clear on their theology on this. They thought they had a doctrine on illness. If you're sick, it's a direct line result because of sin. Somebody sinned or you sinned to cause your illness. You might remember the blind man that Jesus healed. 
Even Jesus' disciples asked him in John 9, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right? The disciples thought, this, everybody knows this. If you're sick or you're blind or you're lame, you sinned or your parents did. And so this is what pe- Jesus is dealing with in terms of the theology or the understanding of the people. And now just remember that Jesus actually corrected his disciples and gave them the right answer that in fact it wasn't that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the work of God could be displayed in him. So this man was born blind for a reason, is so that I could heal him and God could be glorified. That's why he was born blind. Okay, so Jesus corrected that. But to the Pharisees' understanding, and most people watching here with this man lowered through and the paralytic, sickness and sin are the same thing. And so they say, you don't have the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus says, oh, is it harder to forgive sins or to heal this man? You can't do either of them, but look, if I can't forgive sin, then explain to me, how can I make this man walk? If this man is walking, then his sins must have been redeemed somehow. Because if he was still a sinner, then he would still be unable to, to walk. And so Jesus is actually doing two things here at the same time. He's healing this man, and he's trying to open the eyes of the scribes and the Pharisees and say, you have this misunderstanding. That somehow this lameness of the man is his sin, and you don't believe that I can forgive sin, but now suddenly this man can stand and walk. And like Jesus is almost always doing with the Pharisees, he's pulling the rug out from underneath their incorrect notions of God. You think you understand sin, you think you understand God, you think you understand redemption and how it works, I'll show you how it works. Jesus is saying, look, I can forgive sins. And there is an illness that has disappeared as proof that this man's past sins have been paid for. I have forgiven him his sins. And yeah, I can do that. And now if it was us, we would probably, you know, if, if, if we just did that to the Pharisees, right, we would just drop the mic and walk out, you know, case closed, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. It's like a mic drop moment, right? Yeah, you say I can't forgive sins, stand and walk. There you go. Drop, walk, you know. <laughs> That's what I would do. Good thing I'm not Jesus, right? Because that's what I would do. In your face, Pharisees. But, but Jesus doesn't do that, right? His response is compassion, right? Jesus does these things not so that he can drop the mic and walk out. Jesus does these things so that he can point to the glory of God in himself and in the fact that he can forgive sins. He does these things so that people can see their need and break free from their fear of punishment and accept forgiveness for their sins. And this is the incredible news of the love that Jesus brings. And he he shows his love by bringing this message again and again and again. It's the best news. It's the greatest news that Jesus came to shine into the world that your sins can be forgiven and Jesus has the power to forgive them. That's the love of Jesus. And Paul says it this way, the Apostle Paul, he says in 2 Corinthians, For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the face of Jesus Christ that we see this glorious good news that we can be forgiven. And ultimately, of course, we know that Jesus shows us his love not just by the healing and the teaching and by presenting this gospel. Jesus finally shows us his love by being this gospel. Jesus, in the person of Jesus, is the good news. The angel said it this way, as we already read. 
in Luke chapter 2, on a clear Bethlehem night, and it was quiet with sleeping sheep and sleepy shepherds, this angel shows up in the sky and appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news. That Messiah that John the Baptist was looking for, that Messiah that Israel was looking for, for literally thousands of years, that Messiah has come. And we see that Jesus demonstrates his love towards us mainly by coming. Yes, to heal and to resurrect and to redeem, but it was his loving choice. And so the love that Jesus shows us is by coming. That's why we talk about this season as Advent It's the advent of Jesus. It is his coming and his love shown to us that he would come. And the Apostle Paul recognizes this love of Jesus shown in his choice. The fact that it was Jesus' choice to come and love us in this way. He says in Philippians 2, 6-8, Who, Jesus, though he was born in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the love of Jesus, that he would come. That he would come and humble himself to be born as a human baby, in a manger, in a stable. That he would subject himself to humanity, to his own creation to suffering among us. It was the Father's plan, right? We remember, it was the Father's plan, John 8, 42, right? He explained, he said, I came not of my own accord, but God sent me. But Jesus chose to come. The Father came up with the plan. Jesus acted it out. And there was nothing easy about this choice. There was nothing glorious about it yet. In his coming to earth as a poor child in a poor family, to suffer the accusations of his own people, even as he healed and fed and cleansed and taught them, there is nothing easy or glorious yet in his death. His death was pain and suffering and torment, and yet Jesus showed his love by choosing to come and face that death. And as we know, Christmas is just a precursor to Easter. And Jesus knew when he came. He knew when he humbly decided to be born in the form of man, when he was coming in that manger, that Gethsemane was still before him. In Luke 22, we see exactly what Jesus was facing when he chose to come from heaven to earth. It says, He withdrew himself from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so when we remember Jesus and we think of the love of Jesus, there's the healing, there's the cleansing, there's the suffer the little children to come unto me, there's the feeding of the 5,000, there's all that love. But it was just a foreshadowing, a pointing towards a sign of a deeper and greater love that Jesus came for. 
to forgive our sins, to heal us and redeem us spiritually, to go to a cross and die and perform the ultimate resurrection that would allow us to be resurrected with him and spend time with, with God in heaven. And this is the ultimate love of Jesus towards us, that he would choose to leave heaven and come to earth to join us in our suffering and then take on our ultimate suffering on the cross that we can be healed and cleansed and set free and restored. So that's the love of Jesus. And now at Christmas, when you think about Jesus being in heaven and deciding, I'm going to make the choice here to follow my Father's plan, and I'm going to come to earth, and I'm going to be born into a poor family, and I'm going to get abused by my own creation, and I'm going to suffer along with them, and then I'm going to suffer for them and die on a cross to ultimately heal and redeem them. How do we respond to this love of Jesus? What is the response to that? First of all, have no fear that Jesus loves you. He has clearly demonstrated that Jesus loves you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're doubting, how could Jesus love me? Or does Jesus really love me? He's already shown you that he loves you. He's come to earth and died on a cross for you. Do not fear that he loves you. Or don't fear that somehow God is withholding Jesus from you. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I get that Jesus loves me, but you know, maybe it's not for me. Maybe God doesn't have that plan for me. That God, God doesn't want me to have this relationship with Jesus, or I'm not good enough for that relationship with Jesus. You should have no fear of that. Having given us his son already to die, why would God hold back from you the opportunity to know that son and to love him in return? God's already made that sacrifice. He's not holding you back from knowing his son. And so then what do we do with this love of Jesus? How do we respond to it? The Apostle Paul says something very interesting in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose for them. Paul says simply this, The love of Christ compels us. Or as the old King James says, the love of, of Christ constrains us. And so the Apostle Paul's answer to what should this love do? How should we respond to this love? It should compel us. It should constrain us. The love of Christ does this. When we really, truly love Jesus, when our hearts are treasuring Jesus, it compels us to love God and to love others. It compels us to have and live the life that Jesus would have for us in healing and bringing restoration and bringing redemption to others. Additionally, the love of Christ should constrain us. It constrains our life, not in a bad way, but in a good way. When we truly love Jesus the way that he loved us, it puts a boundary around our life and constrains us to live our life in a way that's pleasing to him. And so the love of Jesus should compel and constrain us so that we live not for ourselves any longer, but we live for Christ and we live for others. Robert Murray McShane, and I'll just close with a quote of his. He's an amazing man of God. He's preaching in the 1800s, and he writes about this compelling and constraining love of Christ this way. He says, If rightly and consistently embraced by us, this truth brings us into a state far better than Adam's. Adam had not this strong love of God to man shed abroad in his heart. You understand what he's saying there? Adam didn't see the sacrifice of Jesus. Adam didn't see that God loved the world to give his only son. And that this son would go to the cross for him. And so McShane says, Adam had not this strong love of God to man shed abroad in his heart, but our eyes have seen this great sight. 
before us, Christ has been evidently set forth crucified. If we really believe, His love has brought us into peace through pardon. And because we are pardoned and at peace with God, the Holy Ghost is given us. Why just to shed abroad this truth over our hearts? To show us more and more this love of God to us. That we may be drawn to love Him who has so loved us. To live to Him who has died for us and rose again. That's what the love of Jesus is meant to do for us. Jesus came to show us his love in this way, and then we respond to the love of Jesus by having it constrain and compel us. This is how Jesus has loved us, and this is how we should respond to his love. Jesus came, first and foremost, by his own choosing. He left heaven and came to earth by his choice to heal, to cleanse, to resurrect us. And he did this by his own willingness to suffer with us and suffer for us on the cross. And you are the one that Jesus did this for. This is the Jesus that John was waiting for. This is the Messiah, and he did it for us. This is the Jesus. This is the one. He is the one that we love and celebrate, especially now at Christmas time. Jesus came to show us his love, to be born and to die out of his love for us. Let his love compel you. Let his love constrain you. As we treasure Christ, he loves us in return and transforms our life. Let's pray. Father God, It's been a pretty neat little three-part series just to consider how you love us as Father, as Spirit, and as Son. And this time of the year, obviously, we wanted to end on the Son. We just wanted to refocus again on what he came to do and how he came to show us his love. And without a doubt, it's healing, Lord. Without a doubt, it's restoration. Without a doubt, it's resurrection. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that for us, as we consider that child in a manger... We will remember that this is an expression of love. The disciple John wrote it this way, What manner of love is this that God should send his son? What manner of love is this? It's out of this world. It's like it's from another planet. It is out of this world love. And so, Father, help us this Christmas season to respond to this love by letting it compel us to love others and constrain us to live a life that brings glory to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.